Welcome back to the Savage Land. I'm Jason. I'm Matt. I'm Rachel. And today we have another creator interview. He is the uh, writer and creator of almost too many comics to list, but I'll, uh, I'll give off a few. He is the creator of DMZ, Black Road Demo, Rebels, uh, The Couriers, Briggsland, as well as a writer uh, from Dark Horse of Star Wars comics, uh, Alien, Moon Knight, and many, many, many more series. You've probably read his work. He is the wonderful and talented Brian Wood. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, so, with with a creator like you, we always try and like with any creator we have, we try and dive in as deep as we can to uh, you know whatever they've written or drawn or whatever over the course of their career. But holy crap, have you written a lot of stuff? <laughs> it's been well. It's been uh, twenty years in my defense. Um, it's been a while. So yeah, yeah. no, and I, and I don't say that disparaging because I mean, really, we've been on our like group chat. It's anytime we read something that we hadn't read before, it's like, holy crap! Have you guys read this? It's so good. Um, oh, well, thanks. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, but <laughs> where did the where did the interest in comics come from? When did you first uh, kind of look at comics as a, a career path for yourself? Well, it's pretty different. I always say that I feel like I'm, I stand apart from most of my peers because I didn't, I mean, I think I, I'm sure that I read some comics as a kid, uh-huh. but I didn't really like, I didn't really read them. I didn't like read them regularly. I didn't love them. You know, yeah. I just, they were kind of there. They, maybe they were there at the dentist office waiting, waiting room, you know, <laughs> like it just wasn't, it wasn't a thing I did. Um, and it wasn't until I think just before I went to a college, one of my one of my nerdy cousins who was getting married mm-hmm. felt like he had to jettison all his comics for the sake of his <laughs> his new marriage. I don't know, whatever. He's like, I want so this thing to like, last. I can't. I can't have her looking. Basically, at he like he like dumped him over at, at at my my house, and it was like this was like the late '80s, and so. Okay. There was like a ton of it, but there was like, you know, the staples, like, you know, Dark Knight was there and mm. Watchmen was there. Wow. So like I read them because they were there and they were interesting. So I was heading off to art school um, because my original, you know, I, I went to art school to be an artist, not a oh. writer. Huh. And um, I, at some point, like I was kind of keeping myself apprised of comics and Vertigo was on my radar and I was kind of liking the fact that they were grown up seeming comics, meaning not the superheroes that I generally had up until then uh, associated with the comic book form. Yeah. Cause I was reading like, like that was like the Karen Berger years, right? Like when, when it was like Neil Gaiman, Sandman and preacher and all that. Yeah. Right. Right. It was like, it was like, I mean, and they felt like, I mean, in the eyes of like an art student, they felt like art because they had like the Dave McKean covers, you know. Oh yeah. And they didn't look—they didn't look like what I what I thought comics were. So I got into comics from from that angle, from like a artistic process-oriented angle, because I started to try to figure out ways to use the comic book form mm. in my art school assignments. Like, like I would get like assigned something that like wasn't a comic, but I'd make it a comic, you know, yeah. like I was kind of intrigued in the delivery system of, of it, the way you can use text and images. And so it was like, it's, it wasn't emotional. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was very much practically minded, you know? And, uh, 
and so sort of gradually, and so I was like catching up on all the comics and reading all the classics at that point and reading the new stuff and reading indie books and fanographics. And I sort of like jumped in with both feet. um, And, uh, you know, that was kind of the start of it. But that's really different because I don't have that emotional link. Like I don't have a fantastic four story that I wanted to tell since <laughs> I was I was a kid. You know, I'm not one of those writers and I don't possess the the knowledge, like the base knowledge or the histories, you know? Yeah. Which has sort of gotten which has sort of gotten in the way a lot when I've been approached over the years to like write a lot of those books. So that I don't know anything. I don't, you know, I don't know anything about those things. Yeah, that was so. kind of that was kind of one of my questions is because for most of your career, you haven't really done, you know, much at all of any like superhero, you know, spandex type comics with the exception of X-Men and Moon Knight. And so is is that kind of the reason there or I think that's kind of the reason why it didn't work out that way. It's not like I was never open to it. Gotcha. Um it just was never the natural fit. Uh-huh. Um and, uh, like, I would get – editors would, like, approach me, and they're like, give us a pitch for this. And I would – if I would try, and it would suck, and they wouldn't <laughs> like it. And it was just clear that this just wasn't a natural thing. Yeah. Um, their work and, – and so, like, a lot of my, my work for hire work has been for licensed books, like Star Wars or Aliens. Yeah, yeah. Which I definitely, which I definitely know, you know. <laughs> like, I could wrap, wrap my mind around, around that a lot easier. So like so it's only been once in a while. The X Men is a pretty easy thing to come into from the outside. Yeah. You know, that's a very rela- relatable concept. And you know, if if I, if I I had the right editor who was willing to like you know sit with me and help me and figure it out and fill in the gaps of my knowledge and stuff. Gotcha. That's interesting. And yeah. so I'm assuming that uh, that that Vertigo love as well is is a big part of the reason why you stuck with vertigo for you know a large portion of your career with you know dmz and i believe uh, demo was part of it and northlanders all that stuff i mean was was the love for vertigo when you started reading comics was that a big part of that or why was it that you kind of chose to stay with vertigo for so long that was always my dream and my goal from from the minute i decided this was something i felt like i could do as a job um, I went to my first, uh, like I had been reading Vertigo books for a couple of years, and I went to a San Diego for the first time, which was, I believe, 96 or 97. Oh, wow. And I saw a Vertigo panel, and it was like everybody was up there, like Neil, Neil Gaiman and Grant Morrison and Garth Ennis. It was like it was that era, that era. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, this is these are the coolest people I can imagine. <laughs> you know, it was just like it was everybody at their peak at their vertigo peak, yeah, you know, which is... um, all the books I read and I was like, I want to be them. Like, that's my goal. Yeah. Like I'm going to work myself until I'm a vertigo guy and I'll stay there. <laughs> you know, that, I'm fine with that. That's all I, you know, if that's where I end up and stay great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Of course, you know, then vertigo had to go and change on, on me <laughs> once I got there, you know, and, but I would have stayed there. I was like under, uh, ex- exclusive. Yeah. I, uh, making money i was enjoying myself you know my books were doing well i felt like it was like the right fit yeah um up until the point when like the whole regime change at dc happened and everything kind of changed over 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 there you know and that it wasn't to be anymore but uh yeah because that was yeah, that, that was, like was when, the dream 
was that was great. like when uh, when Karen Berger left and kind of the the leadership change with like Didio and Lee and and all that stuff was that that same kind of era. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even before Karen left, like the writing was on the wall. It was just mm. a Vertigo was getting just de de emphasized. Yeah. You know, um, it had been kind of it was like a gradual change. They were sort of viewing Vertigo more and more as a, as an IP farm. You know, ah, yeah. like it was like the, there was a, like this focus on sales that wasn't there. And if you wanted to pitch something new, suddenly it was under a different kind of a scru- uh, a scrutiny because it was being uh, assessed not only for its uh, whether it, whether it was a good comic book idea or not, but whether it was like a larger media idea that could be exploited. Mm, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, they were they were starting down down that that road. And I remember they like bumped Karen down in rank or something uh-huh. after the new guys came in. So it was just, I mean, it took several years, but it was clear things were changing. And uh, they were suddenly like, we don't know if we can give give you as much work as we have in the past just because we're scaling vertical back generally. So, mm. yeah, it was that, that's that's interesting. I, uh, I was always yeah. kind of curious about that because it, it sort of seemed that uh, pretty quickly the the bulk of your creator owned projects shifted from uh vertigo to dark horse um and yeah by by necessity (laughs) (laughs) it was just like it was like it was vertigo was just like cutting back so much and i was Mm. and i was like this is not going to be like whatever i do here at vertigo is not enough to pay my bills gotcha okay under this new arrangement so I mean, and then it would, then there was a lot of bad bad blood because it seemed like I was like bailing on them, and they mm. got mad at me, and I got mad at them because they were getting mad at me, and <laughs> it was a mess. Um, I mean, that was a while ago. That was to like 2011 or 12. Yeah, that know? was like. So so I'm like over it now, but at the time it was a little bit dicey. Sure. Um, and um, this editor at Dark Dark Horse used to work in the PR department at Vertigo. Oh, and really? she was like, "Bring your bring your stuff over here. We'll we'll put out your books." So they they gave me like this seamless safety net type of yeah opportunity there, where I was able to just like immediately go over there with no break in income. Like it was like a real smooth switch uh, transition. So that that's good. awesome. Yeah, and I mean, it it definitely seemed uh, pretty pretty seamless from the outside. Just sort of watching the workload just shift over there. Um, yeah. And uh, so I'm wondering as well, has, has all of that stuff, you know, that sort of transpired with, uh, with leaving Vertigo and the transitions, uh, has any of that affected your relationship with the works that you did there? I mean, whether it be, you know, obviously personally or, uh, you know, on the business side, whether it's with, you know, adaptations or licensing, any of that, like, has, has all that change affected, for instance, your relationship with, like, DMZ or Northlanders? No, no, not at all. I mean, I... I still have a, I still have that, that vertigo love, you know, I was like super proud to have been there. Um, I mean, DMZ was like a 72 issue series, which is like, that was rare. That was rare even for vertigo. Like, I think that's, I think I was like in the upper six, six books. That's longer than preacher. Yeah. And so, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I love the books. I mean, I don't yeah. have any real relationship with DC, really, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means I don't have a relationship with DC. And um, a couple of the books had fallen out of print, like like Demo fell fell out of print, so I got that back, and the New York Four fell out of print, so like I got that back. Oh, interesting. But um, 
like I'm happy. I mean, they've been putting all my books out in like deluxe format and everything, so everything's good. Cool. That's uh, that's yeah. interesting. I I didn't know that about the uh, the Vertigo rights. That uh, once they go out of print, the the rights revert back to you. Yeah, there, it's it's really it's it's like a contract point. Like it applies yeah. to everyone. I'm assuming. I think it's in their standard contract. I mean, a certain like it has to be out of print for like a while, and mm-hmm. they have the opportunity to like put it back into print. Gotcha. Or or let it go, you know. And in that case, you know, something like demo wasn't really, it wasn't really their normal kind of bread and bread bread and butter type yeah. of books. Yeah, yeah, so, it's a little different. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was fine. Does Good. that does that affect like the because and I, and I know that at least for the current situation with in regards to like rights and adaptations and stuff that uh, it's usually like fifty fifty split between the company and the creator on on uh, projects like that. Um, was that still um, the case when you did it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there were, I think the the era of time when I signed my big Vertigo contract, yeah, the the copyright the copyright stays with the with the creators. Okay. But what they sort of get is Warner Brothers, the parent company, gets a oh like first sort of they get like an uh, indefinite option. On, on it but they but they pay you for it it's not like they just kind of take it and it's assumed like okay. you get paid like they're like when i when i signed the the contract this check arrived and they're like this is your option check you oh, know cool. so it's i don't think it's unfair like if you yeah. understand what sign is signing i think it's like fair you know and it only becomes a negative thing if you're somebody like alan moore or somebody else that yeah. desperately desperately wants the rights back and and is told no yeah. over and over again. I guess. You know, um, and I can un- understand that's a frustration because I would love to have seen like a DMZ TV show by now, you know, or a movie yeah. or whatever, you know. And and but it's not up to, up to me because they have they have this option. Interesting. So I can I can really understand how that's a frustrating thing. Yeah. You know, I kind of I'm sort of like you know I signed it. I can feel bad, but that's not not going to help me to feel feel bad. You yeah, know? of course. So I just so I so I've like I accepted that and made peace with it a long time time ago, because and all, all those books still like sell well. It's like a major part of my income every year. So yeah. honestly, I don't I don't really feel like I have a lot to to uh, complain about. Interesting. So I don't. No, that's and that's yeah. that's cool to hear kind of about that arrangement because I was always curious like how the rights factored in there and like if the printing rights go back then if that affected anything. So that's it's cool to kind of get a peek behind that curtain. Um, yeah. And then so and there, that actually kind of dovetails into a, a listener question that we got. But uh, before that, I kind of wanted to ask in terms of uh, your relationship with Dark Horse. You know, obviously after transitioning over there. Uh, a, a large chunk of your series, pretty much most of your series, really since then, have been uh, printed through Dark Horse. So, how did I, I guess if you were to like compare the two relationships? Obviously, when Vertigo was still going well, and Dark Horse was it basically the same way that you were used to working, or was there kind of a trend, like a, a different way of operating while you were at Dark Horse? Um, Dark Horse is a much smaller company. Yeah, you know, um, I I don't know. Like, I had a friendly editor there. Who sort of who had come from from DC, mm. so I I just kind of operated the same way I'd always operated <laughs> in terms of like you know treating like you know how I dealt with with the editor and everything. Yeah. I had to adjust some of my expectations a bit just because, like there at, at the time there was nobody that could that was on Vertigo's level in terms of like 
selling in in the bookstore market. Yeah, absolutely, you know? absolutely. And so I had to like sort of you know adjust expectations there. Like like oh. Dark Horse was not going to have the same reach. You know that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but you know, but Dark Dark Horse's production values are like I think the best in the industry. Like in terms of like like the graphic designers they hire and the paper they print on, and they really care about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and coming coming from like an artistic background, I've always I always hated the crappy paper Vertigo printed on. Um, <laughs> and I love how my Dark Horse books, books look. So that's nice. Yeah, I will say that. they, And I mean, in your image books as well, but yeah, you're, you're, there's a, a significant jump in quality uh, going from Vertigo yeah. trades to, to Dark Horse trades. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I'm assuming that Dark Horse has obviously, you know, like from their uh, editorial and, and everything like that, that it's kind of been, you know, fair treatment uh, and, you know, smooth sailing since you oh, yeah. seem to have stuck with them. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, there's I haven't had any any disagreements at, at any real real level with them over all these years. That's um, they 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 really care. Like they really care. They really want to put out good books, not just put out books to put out books. You know, they actually work hard at it and I mean, it can get frustrating cuz they sometimes they like build in so much lead time. Like I just want my book to come out fast because i'm excited about it <laughs> and they're like no we're gonna wait we're gonna like get these promotional materials ready and solicit in the book market first and so you gotta wait about eight or nine months you oh, know wow. and and so that's like a little frustrating but obviously they're doing it for like the best of reasons you yeah know? of course of course <laughs> obviously <laughs> I'm not really. I mean, you know, like I said, it's just I'm anxious to get the get the book out. Hey, I know what you mean. I like yeah. anytime you write something or or make anything at all. It's like once it's done, once you know your sort of work is done on it, you're just like, okay, like, can everyone see this yeah. now? Like, is it there? What's you know? Um, right. right. Uh, so I, I'm wondering then when you're you know obviously you're in art school, uh, you've kind of started you know reading some of those Vertigo books uh, and everything. When was the point where you decided that you wanted to start writing, and what was your first like? Uh, you know, obviously writing as well as the the art that you were doing. Um, but then, what was your first actual comic that you uh, that you sort of set out to make? Well, I I made a whole bunch of books in art school, like okay. four four assignments. Um, the one that that I think mostly re, most resembled an actual book <laughs> was my was my channel channel zero book which yeah. was the first published work i had i did that i did like a 14 page version of that for an assignment assignment in school mm. and i actually took that to san diego that that first year and gave it to every publisher i could find um, not really knowing a whole lot about how one pitches or goes it goes about things. Yeah. Um, I just like I had copies in the folder and I gave gave them out to everybody. Um, and this is something that I had written as well as drawn. At that point, I wanted to draw comics. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to write them, but I wrote this thing so I would have a thing I could draw. You know. So I like the writing was like like I I don't even want to say it was secondary in my mind. It was like fifth or sixth down in terms of what was uh, important to me, you know, yeah. like I just wrote something so I, I could draw it. And uh, I was actually, actually I was talking to Vertigo at the time to Shelly Bond. Um, I was doing samples. I did samples for uh, Invisibles mm. art, uh, art samples yeah. and for House of 
secrets too, which I didn't get hired for, obviously. Um, and, and and so like I handed these these thing, things out, and the only person that wrote back was Image, at 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 the time, yeah. Image of 1997, <laughs> and they they did a lot of like real cheap, meaning basic black and white comics. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah, we'll do, we'll print this channel channel zero book. And I was like, okay. And I still didn't really know what I was doing, you know. So, uh, you know, I did. I managed five issues of that before I like melted down. Because I, I mean, I was like, what I learned from that was I am not a comic book artist. I may be an art an artist, but I cannot produce that volume of work in that amount of time. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a lot of work. You know, making yeah, a comic oh yeah. every. Every, every month, obviously. So, I mean, at that point, I was like, hats off to anybody that can do it because yeah. it's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and and so, then I just stopped making comics for like a while. I had a day job. I was busy. I was like, what do I do now? You know, I don't know how to take it to like the next level or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, then I was I was friends with with Warren Ellis at the time, and he invited me to go write a gener- Generation X at Marvel. Which was like the most randomest thing ever. Yeah. Um, but because uh, he he had he had to bring in some new voices or something, and he liked my channel Channel Zero book. Hmm. So that was where I wrote for the first time with the actual intention of being of of writing <laughs> yeah, for yeah. real. You know? um, and so then at that point on, it was like you know that was the beginning of my walking down the writer path. That's interesting. It's funny, like, it's not often you hear of a comic book writer being a comic book writer before deciding to be a comic book writer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, uh, I mean, I was just like, making these things in my house. Like, I, I had no knowledge of the comic book industry, yeah. you know? I just liked, I just liked the, the delivery mechanism of a, of a gridded page, mm-hmm. you know? So I was just playing, playing around with it. Uh so where where did the idea from Channel Zero come from? What was the sort of impetus for that? You know, it's difficult for for me to say for sure. I can say like that it's like a bunch of little things that sort of like collided in my brain. <laughs> I had done this drawing for an assignment of of a tat of a circus style tat tattooed lady, hmm. but I made them all like weird sort of consumer brand messages, which honestly is a very art school thing for someone to do. <laughs> like, it's pretty pretty corny, you know? Yeah. Um, but whatever, you know, I was like a sophomore in college or something, you know? That's kind of what you do when you're a sophomore in art school. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of real, real on-the-nose corny things. <laughs> um, so I did that. I mean, I was, like, really into cyberpunk at the time. I was actually taking a cyberpunk liter- uh, literature class in school. That's amazing. So, like, <laughs> there's, like, a bit of that in there. Um, like, that real, like, that Max Headroom era cyber cyberpunk, you <laughs> Hell know? Hell yeah. Um, and <laughs> hackers and stuff. Uh. Um, and uh, and then there was, like, there was, like political stuff going on in New York City at the time with Giuliani as our mayor. There's like a real sort of, you know, those it's called the uh, quality of life crackdowns. Like there was a real mm. those Giuliani basically cleaning up the city. Yeah, yeah. In the way he felt it should be cleaned up. And so as like a good little art student, I was outraged about that. <laughs> so you just kind of you just kind of take all that stuff and put it together and that's where where it came from. 
Um, but I wasn't really thinking about a series. I just did this <laughs> this little comic sequence. Yeah. You know, not not trying to make like a book out of it or a prop or a property or anything. It was just, I was just kind of darking around. <laughs> so it all came out of there. So what what do you think was your like you know sort of your first instance of trying to to make it a property? You know, obviously you had done like Generation X. Um, you know, after after getting Channel Zero and and some of those other books that you had done, uh, when was the first time that you felt like okay, like I'm going to create a comic book or I'm going to create you know this new thing? I think well, I had done okay. So after I did Generation X, mm-hmm. I did this other sort of uh, which honestly, like I didn't know know what I was doing. You know, <laughs> I, I mean that's not the whole other other thing, but um. So I did this other comic at the time, which this artist named Brett Weldley drew, mm. and it was called Couscous Express, and it was like Scooter Mafia. Like it was another sort of real, it's an idea that was all surface and no meat, you know? <laughs> I was just kind of having fun, you know? I hadn't really started taking comics ser- seriously yet. I had a day job. I just thought comics were like a fun thing to do with like friends. We just come up with in, with fun ideas that look awesome, and we do it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, I think I think when I met up with Becky Cloonan, and I was like, I want you to come help me do a Channel Zero prequel book. Mm. I felt like at that point I was thinking about Channel Zero as like a thing that could have a prequel. You know, yeah, yeah, and uh, like, like like a real story with like a fleshed out background and everything, and uh, you know, Becky was there and she was awesome and she she agreed to like do it, and I felt like that was kind of the first step because immediately after that we did demo, yeah, which was my real series. That I mean, I quit my job for that. And that was like our real step into like, you know, what, I mean, we didn't know, know it at the time, but that was like our step into the big time. Yeah. We, that book got us our, our, both of us, our vertigo jobs. Yeah. And I, so I want to, and we're actually having uh, Becky Cloonan on the show in like three months. So whatever dish, you know, whatever, like just stuff you can just dish on about her that we can, uh, that we can keep in mind, you know, horrible story. I will say one, one funny thing is I, like it sounds so creepy now in retrospect, <laughs> but I found her website just by following links on somebody else's website. Oh, I mean, wow. that's how you used to art hunt back then. Is you, you you go to somebody's website and they have their links of their friends. You yeah, know? and you like click on them and you keep following those <laughs> links. You know, and I came to Becky's website, and I don't say this is like an egotistical way, but I was mm-hmm. like, her art kind of kind of looks like mine. Like oh, that man. could work with channel, with Channel Zero at the time anyway. Mm. She was doing like a lot of heavy ink work, and I emailed her and I was like, "Do you want to do a book?" And she's like, "Yeah, okay." And I met her on the street <laughs> in in New York, and she was like pretty young. She was like like eighteen, oh, you wow. know. And I'm a, I'm a full decade older than she is, <laughs> and we just kind of met, and she gave me some like samples, and we shook shook hands. And we joke about it now because she was like, I had no idea who you were, you know? Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, I felt creepy because I was like so much older than you were and you were like way young, you know? <laughs> um, but obviously it all worked out. You yeah, know? it but definitely it's kind of a fun, out. You know, funny thing to look, look back on because it so easily could, could not have worked out. You know? Yeah. That like <laughs> that, that story in terms of like any story that starts with like, so I met this uh, random strange guy who's 10 years older than me yeah, on the internet. There was, there was no like, I mean, there was no, 
social media back then. It was like, you know, it was all shots in the, in the, in the dark, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so, so after, so you guys do that channel zero prequel, when is it that you two start talking about, uh, the idea for demo? Cause obviously, like you say, that book sort of changed the course of your comics career. Um, it really, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So wh- wh- where was, did that start? It was immediately after Jenny one, which was the channel channel zero book, yeah, which was the short book. It was only like a 60 page graphic graphic novel. It was pretty, pretty short. Mm-hmm. And I was still, I still had a lot of, of X-Men ideas bouncing around in my brain because I was writing that, that generation X book. Yeah. Yeah. But you had like again, story not, not, not coming from a superhero background. What I, the ideas I kept wanting to write for, for Marvel they were like, are you insane? That's like the least commercial thing ever, you know, but I was coming from like a completely outsider's point of point of view, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, so I said to Becky, I'm like, I have some ideas for like that, that trope of the young person with the powers that they don't really understand or that, that coming of age yeah. type of thing, things happening to my body, you know? Yeah. I'm like, let's just, why don't we just like make like some indie version of that, you know? And she and she was down down for it. And it, this was all like, like I mean, I would say that we we were breaking all the rules, but we didn't even know what the rules were, or at least I didn't know <laughs> what the rules were. So we just put this weird book out that was super weird and should not have actually worked, yeah. um, but it did. I mean, it worked enough, you know. And it was yeah. like, I, I guess it was like different enough that that was why. By like the fourth issue, we were getting emails separately. Becky and I, different editors at Vertigo, being like, you know, demos cool. Come do books for for us, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and we and we stuck it out. We did like twelve issues of demo. We didn't get any money for it until like maybe I don't know, like issue eight we started to see like a little royalties oh wow but we really didn't get get any money until the the collection came out um and so i mean it was it got rough like around issue like nine or ten becky was like i don't know if i can do this and i felt really guilty i'm like i'm i don't know what to tell you i don't don't know how how this works you know can we just ride it out and finish this at 12 you know and we did and obviously it was like the best thing either of us could have done for ourselves yeah, it's it's funny. You're uh, you're definitely you're definitely not the first creator that I've heard. Uh, I know Jim Zub uh, talked to us about this and talks about this a lot. But like, for him, his first you know sort of big mainstream series or whatever was uh, Skull Kickers, and he kind of had to do the same thing, just like stick it out and not make money on the series for a long yeah. time, you know. And and but it ended up getting him sort of a lot of his uh, you know basically his career. Um. Yeah, I mean, I went right into DMZ of Vertigo, and Becky went right into, um, uh, man, American Virgin of Vertigo. Mm, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so then we were set. And so the, I, mean, I barely had a chance to work with her since because we're all busy now. But uh, it was really the, the thing that put us on the map. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so... While you're, you know, now that you're like at Vertigo, you know, demo uh, has has kind of done its thing, and I guess you know you kind of talked with Channel Zero where uh, the influence was coming from in you know New York and and obviously the Giuliani years. Uh, was DMZ kind of an evolution of that same sort of uh, idea and frustration, or did DMZ come from somewhere else? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously it came from from current current events at the time. I mean, it was like the lead up to the Iraq War. Yeah. Um, I tell this this joke, which is honestly is not a funny joke. It's actually really really grim. But I remembered I was talking to my editor Vertigo, and we we're trying to like get the DMZ pitch together and to to a right point where he could show it to his bosses. Yeah. And it was taking a long a long time to get to get approved. And we were joking. We were like, this Iraq War is going to end before we get our this book out. You oh, know. Boy. Which is like, which is like kind of like a dark thing to say, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the time, I mean, that was like a legitimate thing at the time because we were all promised it would be like a, like eight week war, you know, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's actually interesting. So I pitched DMZ as a book that I would write and I would draw. Like I was gonna like, I'm coming back oh, doing wow. art, you know. Like I liked all those Paul Paul Pope Vertigo books that yeah. were like in black and white kind of. Yeah. I was like, I want to do do that. So here's this book. It's a five issue mini, and I'm gonna write and draw, draw it. Huh. And my editor was like, This could be. So, you should gotta make it bigger than that. Make it a monthly book. You. This has. There's a lot of ideas present, like yeah. buried somewhere in this concept. You know, there's there's a lot of story you could tell. You know, so I made it into a monthly, and the compromise is that I was going to do a covers, which I did for mm. like 30 issues or something, um, before I got a little burnt out. Yeah. Um, and those were, I want to say, those uh, yeah. were beautiful covers. Like, you, I mean, obviously coming oh. from an art background, you know how to design stuff, but uh, I, I love the designs on, on DMZ. Thank you. I, I had fun doing them, but the higher-ups at DC just didn't under, understand them at all. Oh, wow. You know? Because um, it wasn't like your typical thing, you know, and um, so no one was very happy with them. Uh, they're still not even happy with the covers of the trades of the deluxes that are coming really? out now. Yeah, they're sort of like I can I can just tell by talking that that they accept it, but they don't get it. That's you know? right. Um, that's like my one of my favorite things about the book. It adds so much to the aesthetic. <laughs> like I don't know. It's just funny. Whatever. I'm like I'm. I'm just not like my art is just not the what the comic book industry is really looking for. <laughs> I decided, or at least that like big big two industry. You know? Yeah, that's that's true for sure. Yeah. But I think that's yeah. good. That's almost a compliment in uh, in a lot of cases. I mean, you know, certainly yeah. the the things that they do well at both companies are are fantastic. Uh, but I think that it's you know it's a specific type of story that goes through those channels. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, so we do have a few uh, listener questions that I think we'll kind of uh, you know pepper in here. Um, okay. So uh, while we're kind of on the topic of uh, of DMZ, uh, the, a user from Reddit uh, D1 Foley uh, asked the question: Has there been any progress on a DMZ sh- uh, TV show? There has been a whole bunch of progress, up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, <laughs> We've gotten close. Like there was uh, a few years ago, the Sci-Fi Channel optioned it. Yeah. Um, they hired writers, some writers that worked on the Mad Mad Men TV show. Mm-hmm. I'm I was not involved. Like that's sort of a, a unfortunate thing that DC and Warner Brothers does is they keep the comic book creators separate. Oh. It's like they don't want us to cross over. They don't want us to get involved in the TV show. They're like, you do comics. 
we'll take care of everything else oh, kind nice. of mentality, which I don't like. Like I said, I've, I've made my peace, peace with it. So <laughs> everything I'm saying, I found out way after the fact, right? So they sci-fi optioned it. They got a script and then sci- sci-fi passed. And eventually, years later, I read the script. And I'm probably glad they passed. It wasn't badly written. It just, I didn't recognize my own book in it, you know? Yeah, it yeah. was not deep. It was something else. So I, so now I'm a little bit, now that I'm, I'm sort of working in the TV world now, mm-hmm. I'm a little bit more, uh, more plugged in, and I know that things are happening with DMZ, which I can't really say, but, gotcha. you know, whatever. There's lots of ups and downs, and we're into, we're into an up now, where things are hopeful. Cool, so, cool. Well, yeah. then uh, that's, uh, that user will certainly be happy to hear that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, in, in terms of DMZ, when you're developing this, you, know, you talk about how you guys uh, realize that there's a lot of story to tell. Uh, was it originally the intention to take the series so long, or was that at least your, your desire is to have a really long-running series, uh, or did it kind of come out of nowhere and just surprise you? Well, I think the the general accepted wisdom at the time at Vertigo was that you just, if you did a monthly, you just did it for as long as you could, mm. you know? It wasn't really, I mean, I don't think it was ever discussed that, uh, you know, it'd be finite in any particular way. We just did it for like a long time and it was selling well, so there wasn't any reason to uh, stop. Mm. And that was kind of the norm. That's what Vertigo wanted. That was what what was happening at the time. It was if they did a six a six issue mini, which they definitely did. Mm-hmm. That that was not the that was there were a lot less of those than there were of these indefinite monthlies. So it was an indefinite monthly just by a by default, you okay. know, not not by, by design. And honestly, like it was going awesome. We're having fun. The artist was like having fun. The, it was like doing really well. It was doing really well in a trade. It was, you know, getting good uh, press. So there was no reason to stop. That's yeah, that makes sense. Um, now, so the next book after DMZ was was that local or a supermarket? Which kind of came next in your sort of chronology? Ah, oh, man, I'm just getting my because I there are different because I I wrote things at different times than oh, they were yeah. public. Um, I remember two thousand. I guess because I went exclusive at DC in I think 2008. Mm. Um, so all those came out before then. I know the the publishing date on local and supermarket were like 2006, 2007. Yeah. So it was like around that time, I mean, I think I had started doing doing DMZ and was doing those those things on the side. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So your your next kind of like big long running series uh, after DMZ and I think yeah there was some some crossover in there just a little bit um, actually for a while uh, is is Northlanders um, yeah had you always been sort of sort of fascinated by like Norse mythology or where did the first kind of idea for was, Northlanders come about it was super rand- random like I, I remember my editor was like you know you could do another monthly book but in fact, in order to get an, an exclusive, which is what I wanted, I wanted the health insurance and the security. <laughs> they're like, you you have to have two two books in order to qualify or or, or whatever it is for like an exclusive. So matters like so, so pitch me something, but 
He's like, but you cannot do the same thing you always do. <laughs> you can't do this like urban sort of near future violent kind of thing, which is kind of what I <laughs> only what I had mostly done all the way up until until that point. Yeah. Um, he's like, you really got to break out of your comfort comfort zone. And I honestly swear to God, do not know how I landed on on Vikings. <laughs> but I, I remember I was sitting in my office and I was like, Vikings and um, like I was watching Yakuza movies at the time, which yeah. is like such a nerdy thing thing to say. But I was wa- watching those like Yakuza pa- papers movie, and I was like, there should be a Viking thing that's like not like Conan, that's yeah. not like mythology with like gods and all that nonsense, but like gnarly ground level like crime. Like it should be like super visceral. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I don't want any myth in it at all, you know. It's got to look. It's got to be like like dudes fighting in the mud, yeah. you know, like misery, you know, like total horrible quality of life. <laughs> I was like really thinking like super super dark, um, and I pitched it. And I think it was just so out of the the box that they were just like, well, he he called our bluff. Like he did what what we asked us to do, you know. We asked him to do, so they 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 went for it. And uh, it took a while for me to to make them understand that it wasn't going to be like like the Viking Prince or those other Viking books that DC you know <laughs> has in their in their back library, or it wasn't like Prince of Valiant or Conan. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, it took a while to get that, and it took a while to to get sync synced up with the artist. You know, because I was trying to make it accurate. You know, and the artists, yeah. through no no fault of their their own, they're thinking of the stereotypes in their own head. They're thinking of Conan or Lord of the Rings. Yeah, even, yeah. You know, and everything was like very costumey and sort of like they're like art samples we get back would have like trolls running around, <laughs> and fairies and stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not, it's not like that. Yeah. I just want a guy with a sword, you know. <laughs> put clothes on them because they definitely wore clothes and run around naked despite what other comics might tell you, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so once we got, got into the groove and the next artist could look at the original artist and see what we were going for, it all ran really, really smooth after that. Um, I'm super proud of that book. I'm, uh, I felt like it really sort of, um, like I don't always – to toot my own horn like this, but I really felt like it sort of re reset a, a standard in comics. Yeah. For Vikings, there's been other Viking books that I would never ever say it's like mine, but I felt like it's more that kind of a Viking story. Yeah. More gritty, less less fantasy. You know, there've been several like that, and I sort of think North North Northlanders is kind of like is like a kind of kind of a benchmark in the sense that it just showed a different way in the comics. You know, you could do it. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's not Thor. It's not Thor. <laughs> you know, he didn't talk like like Thor. You know, I, it was like modern speech, which a lot of people had a real issue with when it first came out. Yeah, but I'm definitely proud of that book. Yeah, and you definitely, uh, you know, it seems like the the Viking, uh, you know, and sort of Norse stories have, you know, kept you fascinated. Uh, obviously, with the Black Road uh, coming out, you know, later down the road. Uh, but I'm curious with that sort of. Uh, you know, mind to that type of Viking story. Do you watch the history show Vikings or like, what's your opinion on, on that type of show? I, I honestly, at the time I couldn't watch it. Cause I really felt like 
it was what what my comic was and and maybe it's not but i'm saying that at the time Mm -hmm. like i looked at it and i was like man that's what i that's what a northlanders tv show should should look like yeah yeah and i was like but but warner brothers is not going to be they're not making a north northlanders tv show is not a prior priority for them you know (laughs) so this show is now gonna be gonna 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 be the the viking show you know yeah and so I was like, I was actually upset at at the time. And I was like, I can't watch that. And now I suppose I could could watch it. Like I'm no longer upset. And for all I know, it's completely <laughs> different. And all my fears were like unfounded. And I'm being unfair. But now I just kind of don't don't really care. I don't know too much. There's too too much of it now for me to jump jump yeah. in on now. No, that that makes sense. And I I kind of I hear you that way. Where it's like. Even from just like the the small standpoint, without even taking into consideration like oh that that's like you know the big TV show and and all that stuff and sort of the implications of that, but like even just something that could possibly influence the voice in which you're writing and the way that you're writing the story, like it's it's always sure. hard yeah. to like try and even involve those while you're writing something because it's like I don't want to you know I don't want to just be like aping whatever they're doing or have it influence too much. Right. Um, now you on Northlanders uh, specifically, you kind of, especially the the longer it went on, you sort of had a rotating cast of of artists. Uh, what was that experience like? Kind of, you know, having this book that you owned, but then having those different um, visual interpretations uh, as you're going along. Did you have to kind of do any adapting, or you know, what was your perspective on it? It was uh, I I trying to re remember why we decided that that was the the way to go. Um, I don't. I honestly cannot remember mm. what the conversations were like, where we were like, "Let's have different artists." Like I, I looking back, I know that I that what I liked about it immediately was that I felt like you could have because because I I definitely knew I was going to switch loc- locations and jump around in a time, mm. and I felt like if I had artists and some artists could be real real indie. And some could be real realistic, and others could be this and that. I felt like there was always an opportunity to like snag a new reader, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas if, as opposed to like a comic, a monthly that always looks the same for years and years and years, mm-hmm. you know, you you never know. Like I have a different artist, and it could catch someone's eye in like a comic store, you know. Yeah. So I, in retrospect, and because the industry's changed and beliefs have changed and you know i i think it's like like i wouldn't do it again in the sense of every, all those artists were all work uh, work for hire at vertigo because dc would not do a new contract for every artist coming coming in mm. you know like that would mean every northlanders story was its own copyright you know yeah if i was going to if i was going to share share the owner the ownership and that was like not something they were willing to uh, do. Uh, do you know? We had like like nineteen artists on that book. You know. Yeah. So it's a little crappy in retrospect. It's a little unfair. I felt like if I was able to get the Northlanders rights away from DC and published it someplace like Image or some some other place, I would be able to give everybody pieces of the pie. <laughs> But as as it stands now, it just is what it what it is, and yeah. no but no one blinked it blinked an eye at the at the time. Mm-hmm. But now, obviously, you know, there's a lot of there's a greater a much deserved greater sensitivity towards the artists yeah. being viewed as co as co authors, and you know, it's not just like the writer's book. And Vertigo is very much 
a writer's imprint. You know, that, they, they said as much. You know, they identify themselves as a writer's imprint. So, you know, I wouldn't do it, do it again that, that way. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So, so as you're going along here, you know, you've got your DMZ and Northlanders are both, you know, getting DMZ well up into the, the 60s, you know, running near the end of its run. And you've got uh, Northlanders, you know, still running in like its 30s. And then, you know, a few kind of work for hire uh, projects and a couple of creator owned projects in there. Um, you know, for like smaller runs. Uh, and then right around like, you know, 2011, 2012, kind of that time that you're talking about when uh, DC was uh, changing its leadership and stuff. Uh, it seems like at that time as well, you get involved with Marvel for, uh, you know, what ended up being quite a, a big run of like X-Men books and Moon Knight and stuff. How did that relationship yep. sort of come about? Um, so I... Uh so when things were sort of ending for me at DC, my, my exclusive ended. Mm. So I was suddenly like, I was like, honestly, I had like a young kid. I was panicking. So I was like, my uh, health insurance is going away. I got to start actually buying it, you know, for real, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and suddenly every, I'm not a person just because of the the way I, I grew up with a lot of financial uncertainty as a, as a kid. So there's nothing that like panics me more. Yeah. Than that, like I, like I, I, I will overreact and freak out, you know. So I overreacted and freaked out, and I was like <laughs> casting around. I was like, ah, anybody, you know, find me, you know. I, I need stability, and uh, so that was that was why I sort of at at the exact same same time mm-hmm. signed on at Dark Horse to do the massive and Conan, and got in touch with Marvel. And they gave me some. They gave me a, Wolf, a Wolverine and the X Men miniseries. You okay. know, um, so all that happened all at, all at once. I was like, okay, phew. You know, <laughs> I feel like you know, I got I got some like nets under yeah. under me now. You're like, you know, oh no, no, no big deal. I feel doing... like I'm falling. Yeah, you're like, oh, no yeah. big deal. I'm doing six, five, six books every single month. Like, at least I'm right. safe now, was... rather than maybe I might be overworking or something. You know, like it was a little rough. I was, I think. Uh, I forget which ended first. I guess DMZ must have ended first, but I was like wrapping up in Northlanders. They actually canceled that book, but they gave me like a lot of issues to wrap it up in. So, yeah, you know, I will always be very, very thankful to, uh, to DC for that. Like I wanted to end at issue 50 mm. and they canceled it and we were on like issue like 38 oh, wow. and they said I could go all the, all the way to 50, which is like really nice of them. So I yeah. give them a lot of credit for that. Um, yeah, and so I mean the vertigo, the Marvel stuff. It's really funny. So there's I've I've come across this perception from readers that I was doing all this Marvel work and like crazy Marvel, and it was like a huge chunk of my career. <laughs> but really, it was like two really dense years. You know, okay. Like I stopped. I like I wrapped up that Moon Knight only a couple years after I started doing all that X Men stuff. Wow. I just did like a lot of books. You know, I was like, I mean. I'll, Things were double ship shipping. Yeah, like I did like I, I don't know how many issues of I think I did like twenty five issues of Ultimate X Men. Yeah, in like a year, in like a year, like I was cranking that out fast. Wow. Um, and the regular X Men book, I did like something like twenty two issues of that in the same amount of time. And the Moon Knight stuff, which happened at the very very end, um, after all the X Men stuff. Yeah. But yeah, so it was it was it was a lot of work, but it was like it was a very very short amount of time. That makes sense. Like when, when I'm looking at it, it is kind of funny because I don't yeah I don't remember like 
there ever being like the the Brian Wood years of like you know like you you know <laughs> the way that like Hickman just sort of like for whatever reason dove head like you know head first into uh, the ch- sort of giant Marvel network. But it was like there was that period of time where you're like you know oh that like that book's really good oh it's a Brian Wood book type thing. It wasn't like this huge like overarching seven year plan, but uh, you know you're kind of involved. Um, well, there was a, there was a. I remember because those books were so high profile compared to my my creator own books. That's true. That there were readers out there that only knew me as an X Men writer. Like they did not know I I've been making comics for like twelve years or fifteen years pre- yeah. prior. That. So they're like, oh Brian, that's that X Men guy. And there so there there are readers who I I still meet now who only think of me as that, you know. And I'm like, well, I've done some other things. The X Men was actually <laughs> really really tiny blip in the overall yeah. line of books, you know. So I've I've all. found this. It, there's it's this funny like spider web that all connects back to the Ultimate X Men comic because. If you look through the run of like every writer that touched the Ultimate X Men, it's always you know it's people like like you and Brian K Vaughn and Robert Kirkman and Mark Miller like it's all these like big names of people who have these giant bodies of work and for whatever reason like Ultimate X Men is like this common thread between you all. It's kind of a funny thing. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. And then uh, we have a another question um from a user uh. Let's see, Doctor Moon or Gun? I saying usernames is always the weirdest things. You have to like interpret like what they're trying to say. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, he asks, "Are you interested in ever coming back to the story of the Massive? Uh, that tease at uh, exploration of the New World at the end of Ragnarok really interested me." Yes, and that that sort of tease or that like you know, I mean the the Massive both ends very con- conclusively and doesn't end, you know, mm. at, at the same, the same time. Um, it's definitely intentional that there's uh, a, there's a path we could take to, to a whole new series, you know? Um, and it's there if we need it, if we ever want it, you know, um, the book, by, by the time it ended, it was not commercially, selling in a way that we could keep on going indefinitely, you know? So we, we stopped it for practical reasons, mm. but if there was ever like some like, like reason to do it, like if there ever was a movie or a TV show and there was interest there in starting up a, a comic again, um, we definitely could, you know, there's, there's space, space for it. And I know that I would do it because I love that book and I'm sure Gary would, would want to want to draw it. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of like like it's done for now. I'm not saying we're we're not on hold or or anything <laughs> like that, but but like if there ever was a reason to do more, we we totally could. Cool, that's good to hear. Um, yeah. And and where did the idea come from? You know, and this I guess this was sort of like your next uh, big creator own series, and it's like you said, kind of at the jump to Dark Horse. Uh, and so this was you know I think probably another one of those tent poles of your creator owned career. Uh, where did that idea first start, you know, coming and, and, uh, how did you find Gary Brown? It was going to, going to be a vertigo book. It was mm. going to come right after DMZ. Um, we, we, it was, it was accepted over there and I got given a, a contract <laughs> at vertigo. 
But it was like not the same contract I signed on DMZ and Northlanders. Like it was the new contract to go with the new regime over there, you know. Mm. And it was like a sig. It, it would have basically meant a sig- significant change in my income. Not to keep making everything about money, you know. But I have a family. Hey, yeah. It, it so has like to you be. know, it's you know, this is my job. You know, I'm in my forties. You know, I'm not starting over again. You know, yeah. the, this is how I. This is how I live. Yeah. Absolutely. So um. And uh, so, like, I didn't. And that, that was all wrapped up in my exclusive ending and leaving D.C. and everything. And that's all part and part, parcel with it was the massive. Mm. So that's what I brought over to Dark Horse. And basically, I was like, like, I need to find a home for this book yesterday. <laughs> like, will you do it? And they basically said yes in one day. Like, they were willing to say yes without approving it, without running it up the usual chain, Mm -hmm. you know, which I have a lot of, I will always be thankful to Dark Horse for giving me that, like, immediate job (laughs) job security, you know? Yeah. And so, and, but so, anyway, so, broadly, I had decided that in my career, I was always going to be doing these, these political books. Mm -hmm. I do the historical books sometimes, and I do, like, the teen books. But the Channel Zero, DMZ, Massive, and now Briggsland, that's a deliberate line of books. Yeah. I feel like I, I started my career doing this political, speculative kind of sci, sci-fi thing. Mm-hmm. And that's, part, that's really my DNA as a writer. You know? So I'm always going to have one of those projects going. So when DMZ was going to end and I knew and, and, and I knew, knew it was going to end, I was like, what's my next thing? What do I give, give – what, what do I care about? I don't know. I don't know if I can swear on this podcast. No, you can, yeah, you can swear. Um, Feel free. Let, so, let loose. So I was like, what do I give a shit, a shit about? You know, like environmentalism. I kind of always have. But I'm like the armchair kind of environmentalist. Like I recycle, I give some money, but that's basically it. Yeah, you know, yeah. like my my caring about it is not matched by my actions. You know, mm. so it was start off in that personal way. I'm like, you know, like just sort of exploring my own feelings about this and climate change and uh, and all that. And I sort of, you know, basically just started putting stuff stuff to, together. And I was like, what about like guys like in all my comics I always write people who are young who are much younger than me but I'm I'm getting older and I I don't know how much longer I can cred, credibly keep writing about people in their early 20s you know yeah, yeah. I don't want to be I don't want to be that comic book writer you know <laughs> <laughs> so I was like I want to I, w- I want to talk about older people who have like previous lives and struggle with that and so it kind of started in that sort of you know, like I started with a couple of core things and then kind of built like an, an adventure story story around it. Mm. Um, but it's like, you know, so I'm talking about like, you know, politics and terrorism and war and environmentalism with the massive and Briggsland. It's like extremism and what does being an, an American mean? Mm-hmm. So that to me is like a clear, straight, bold line through my career, you know, and I'll, yeah. and I'll do another one after, after Briggsland. That's interesting. That's uh, it's it's cool to kind of look at it uh that way and see that progression because yeah, it hadn't quite like struck me like that until uh, until you pointed it out. But that's pretty cool. Um, and so also you know as uh the massive is is kind of hitting its big wave, your sort of next uh you know licensed property or your next licensed work that's uh you know the sort of big 
you know, of the big groups in genre fiction uh, is Star Wars. Um, and that's obviously mm-hmm. with Dark Horse. Did that project kind of come about the same time that you were jumping over there and, and doing Conan, or where did that come from? It came after. I had, uh, I was already well into Conan. I may have even been almost done, done with Conan. Mm. Um, but it just came out of the uh, blue. Um, like Dark Horse clearly felt like I could handle a lot of monthly books, you know, or they could handle <laughs> a lot of monthly books by uh, me, yeah. you know? And so they're like, have you ever thought about doing Star Star Wars? And my answer was like, well, not until now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? no, I didn't know it was a possibility. You know? Right. I was like, you know, now, now that you mention it, um, <laughs> but it was like, but it was what they came to me is they were like, we want to do, we've been, been given the, the green light from Lucasfilm for the first time to do original trilogy comics, which I guess they had not really done. Interesting. I don't know. Maybe yeah. they had, but not in like a meaningful way. I don't know. They, they sold it to me as like, this is our first time. <laughs> we were able to like take that cast yeah, and yeah. make a, you know, whatever. So I was like, <laughs> well, that's good. Cause that's really all I care about. Like the extended universe. I've read a bunch of star Wars novels yeah. in my life, but like that doesn't, set me on fire the way the the original movies do um, mm. obviously so i was like well that's good i will totally write a book if i can i'll set it immediately after the death star blows up yeah you know um and i love x-wing pilots and so i sort of like built it around there and sort of just it was my own I wrote my own personal like fan like fan fiction like <laughs> like I I addressed the things that bothered me that weren't answered in the movies. Yeah, you know, like I wasn't think thinking about anybody but like me. <laughs> it was like a very selfish <laughs> thing. I was like, I want to write the thing, the Star Wars comic I've always wanted to read. You know, um, it did super well. Like it was like a runaway hit for Dark Horse compared to all their other Star Wars books. Um, and it's kind of funny that when it went over to Marvel, they basically replicated it, you know? Yeah. Um, like, I, was, I mean, Lucas, like, I mean, I heard through, through the grapevine, and Lucas was like, we, we like that Dark Horse book. Yeah. Let's keep it going. We, we got to do it again. Like, it worked. Every, everybody likes that Dark Horse book. Everybody likes the idea of original trilogy stories in, the, in between the films, yeah. you know, comics. Absolutely. So they sort of like did a, did the same thing over again, which is funny to me. Um, <laughs> but I had a lot of fun. And that's another book that I would have done indefinitely if I hadn't lost the license. I did 20 issues of that. Wow. I was just going to keep on going. Yeah, that so was... It was a lot of fun. I'm, gl- I'm glad I had a, I had a chance. Um, I mean, yeah, they, you had some of the, I think, you know, in my opinion, like some of the most awesome expanded universe stories uh, that have been, whether comics or books or anything. Um and that kind of dovetails into a question uh, asked from another listener. Uh, MacGyver387 uh, is wondering, what plans did you have uh, for your Star Wars run, uh, you know, right before it ended? Like, was there another story that you were planning or, you know, what was that all about? Well, we had so much warning mm. that they were going to lose. It. Well, I should say they were, they had a feeling there they were going to lose the uh, license. So we were like planning for it. So like, that's why like that last, that's why, like, I did a 12-issue story for, like, the first part, and then for, like, the next part, it was all tiny stories, mm. because I, I didn't know when, when I was going to have to end it, you know? So I was just doing these little short stories, like, three, three issues long or two issues long kind of thing. So I, don't, I never really had to think what was my 
I, I, I really wasn't able to think that far into the future, mm-hmm. right? So I was just kind of like checking off these boxes. Like that Darth, I, I did a two-part Darth, Darth Vader story um, that was told, it was like called like five, five days of the, of the Sith. Mm-hmm. And it was just like him walking around just like, like getting revenge on, on every, everybody, which I, which I really liked. Like I really enjoyed writing that. I, I view that as like the best of the bunch. Um, but it was, it was honestly as much fun as I was having, it was also a demoralizing time because it just became increasingly clear as we went that they were going to lose, lose the license. Mm. So like by the time that we wrapped it up, it was like, it was a depressing thing. You know, we were just like, Oh, sucks. Yeah. You know, like everybody's kind of enthusiasm was out, you know, dark horse was like freaking out a little bit. You know, um, no one knew what was gonna gonna happen. You know, so it yeah. it didn't end great in that sense. I mean, looking back on it now, I'm proud of it all. But at the time, it was like a little, it was a little de- depressing, and I wasn't really thinking that far into the future. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. I mean, I can see if I were in your shoes, I'd probably be like, oh, I don't, I don't even want to try and think about what I would do right now. This sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's cool. And so, has it uh, in terms of like the reprints? Because obviously, now that Marvel uh, owns the rights, uh, you know, and and has started reprinting, all, you know, all that Dark Horse stuff, uh, has that affected you at all? I mean, do they still carry out like any residual licenses in place, or is it just kind of like you see your name on these books that uh, that are printed without any, you know, anything from you? No, they they sent me one comp comp copy, which was nice, um, just so I didn't have to. <laughs> have to buy it for myself. Um, and there, there are royalties, which I honestly didn't think were going to come because they weren't like con- contractually obligated Yeah, to pay them because, you know, when Lucas owns those comics, mm-hmm. right? So when Marvel agreed to like re- reprint them, Dark Horse is not involved in this whatsoever. Right. There's yeah. no ob- obligation from Lucas to pay any of that money to Dark Horse, you know. So we just I mean, a bunch of us Dark Horse writers at the beginning of this were like emailing and we're like, yeah, it's not going to happen. This is it. You know, they don't have to pay us. So they won't. You know, it's like re- reprints. I mean, my stuff was fairly fresh, but a lot <laughs> of the other they're 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 reprinting stuff that's decades old, you know. Yeah. But I've got some royalty checks. I mean, obviously it's like a tiny slice, you know, but it's something. And yeah. I, I always feel like the the fact that they're willing to even pay you a tiny slice is is shows they actually care a yeah. little bit. No, that's that's fantastic. <laughs> <You know>, so. <laughs> that is fantastic because yeah. I mean, for for a long time, uh, you know, Marvel was kind of in some hot water for for lack of you know uh, uh, residuals and stuff like that. So it seems like you know in more recent years uh they've obviously turned an eye toward that so that's good um now uh now we'll touch on really quick just because it is you know like you say it's one of those series that lasted uh for a pretty short time but ends up you know like living on in this uh legacy or people you know remember it as being a a longer time than it was but uh when did the the moon knight uh you know story arc come into place and, and how did you kind of approach that um, it just kind of came, came to me. Like, I let, sometimes you just get a, a call out of the blue. Um, I, I, I would not say that, I mean, I'm not as good a writer, obviously, as Warren Ellis. <laughs> I don't write, I don't write like him. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say. That's I've, like a very I've, apples to oranges comparison. I've, 
I've been connected to him at certain points throughout my my career. Yeah. You know, like I did I did covers for his Global Frequency book. Mm-hmm. He and I worked on this X Men thing. Mm-hmm. So it's not the first time I've been asked to follow Warren on a book. <laughs> other times, which I other times which I don't want to want to say for boring. Personal reasons, but I've I've turned turned down jobs like that in the past. <coughs> yeah. But this one, I was like, all right, you know, they they already had Greg, Greg Smallwood, and I loved that guy's work. So I was like, yeah, I'll give it a whirl. You know, if I get like whatever Warren started is obviously super cool. Yeah. I don't need to know any anything about Moon Knight, really. You yeah, know. That's true. Um, and so it just seemed like it was like my kind of superhero book. You know. Yeah. Um. And it's always a unique experience following someone <laughs> like Warren, yeah. Because I mean, people loved his Moon Knight issues, you know. Yeah. Love, love, love. You know, that was a those are giant shoes to step into. That's true. I mean, it, but, it's whatever. For, for like Fun. five issues or whatever it was, that series definitely got a lot of uh, attention. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So. um yeah, I, I had fun. I mean, I was told up front there it was the, the book was going to change creative team every six six issues. Mm. So I so I knew up front I just had had the six, and it was some of the most creatively satisfying work. Just because of the artist was so so great, I felt like I had a lot of freedom. The uh, color was super good. So yeah. it, was, it, was, it was it was a blast. I uh, so it's kind of funny because in this like we didn't even do this uh, out of any type of plan, but our next I think our next two guests are collaborators of yours, and so it's funny talking about Greg Smallwood because uh, he's our our next interview uh, after you, by the way. And so if there's any like you know just just the dirt that you can dish up on him or anything like that, um, but no, like, I got no dirt. I got no dirt. <laughs> I don't I don't even really know him all that well. Like we email once in a while. Yeah, but uh, like I've never met him. Um, he's, he's actually going to come on to do covers for the next run of Briggsland. Oh, hell yeah. Which is fun. Just fun. I've been trying to work with him ever since, um, uh, Moon Knight, but he's been like, I, th- I think he was like exclusive under contract at Marvel for like a long time. Mm. So yeah. that's cool. So, now, how do yeah. you, in talking about, you know, obviously you've got Greg Smallwood, Becky Cloonan, you know, Gary Brown, like you've worked with a lot of different artists. Uh, how do you how do you approach going into a project uh, with an artist that's assigned? Like, do you try and figure out their process first, or do you kind of adapt as you go? What's your What's your sort of um, method? I mean, it's always adapting as you go. Usually, it's it takes like a good issue or some some sometimes two mm. to like get into sync to fully under understand each other. You know, yeah. I, I always like I always like to know who the artist is, which isn't always possible possible when you're doing like X Men books and stuff. You know, like when you I always like to know who the artist is before I write the script, mm. um, which seems like a no brainer, but you'd be surprised <laughs> at how often that that does not happen. Yeah. Um, because because I like to look at their work and I like to look because you can usually tell what they like to draw mm. and what they don't like to draw or what they have trouble drawing or what's their strong point and what's, what is, isn't, you know? Mm. Um, like I, like Becky hates drawing cars. So <laughs> once I learned, I learned that I kind of stopped making her draw cars, you know? So there's like things you sort of, you sort of like, you know, get some basic understanding of how they draw or how they like to work. Yeah. And you just kind of, I mean, for everybody's sake, you just write to, the, to, to those uh, strengths, you yeah. know? 
Um, so usually the first script is longer, and as I as we sort of understand and stand each other more, mm-hmm. I can write less dis- description, give them a lot more freedom, or they kind of understand what I want without me having to like spell it out. You know, yeah, it gets easier as you as you go. And someone like Becky, who I've worked with a lot, even though not regularly, but I've worked with her f- over such a long period of of the time. Oh yeah, I write her. Uh, I write her a kind of a script that I don't write anybody else, which is like all the direction is all her, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm writing like plot style with the dialogue, you know, oh, so you just kind like, of like... I, like she, she decides how many panels she decides what the zooms and angles are like, it's pretty lean, you yeah. know, and she's, she's doing a lot of the story, the storytelling there. And I mean, I try to do that as much as I can. I think I did that with Ryan, Ryan Kelly after a while and, and, mm. and with Gary on Black Road, actually, because, like, I'm just some dopey writer. <laughs> and whatever I write that I can come up with in, like, a couple of minutes, they have to spend, like, a day or two trying, yeah. you know? So it's, I'm not going to give them something crazy. They have to have that freedom to, like, change what I want mm-hmm. if they know that their idea is better or they can't do what I'm asking or whatever, you know, yeah. or if I'm driving them crazy, you know, and they need a break <laughs> and they, their dead, dead, uh, dead deadline is coming, coming up, you know? So I always try to get to that point with an, an our artist where, where we can have that sort of like much more loosey goosey kind of way of working. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and you have, like, that's one thing that sticks out in your career is, like, you do sort of have these artists that you continually work with, um, which I think is good, you know, because there, there are certain writers that you look at and it's like, oh, almost no artists work with them more than once. Um, you know, and so I, I wonder, like, is, is there a specific reason you think it is that uh, usually, you know, most of your collaborators are willing to work with you again? <laughs> well, that's nice you phrase it that way. Um, somebody... <laughs> I, can't, I don't remember who the artist was, but somebody paid me a very nice compliment and said that they can tell that I'm an artist or I was trained as an artist uh-huh. because of the way I write. And they meant that in like a nice way. Like I, they, they could tell that I understand the artist's job, uh-huh. you know, in, in how I write, which is nice. Um, I think it was Leo Fernandez, actually, who mm. did some Northland. Um He's like, he's like, I get these superhero scripts and there's like 12 pe- people in a panel and like half of them are talking, <laughs> which is like impossible to draw. You know, he's like, you give me like one thing in each panel and one person talks or maybe two, yeah. but there's like one focus. It's not like a billion things trying to happen all, all at once, which is something I didn't, I mean, I'm sure a lot of writers do that. It's not like I'm the genius who does that, but uh, <laughs> um, I didn't really realize that I I did that until he pointed it out and I was like, Oh great. My sub subconscious is, was, is helping me out here. Yeah. Um, you know, and I like working with people just because it's comfortable. It's easy. You know, you kind of get, you know, there are crazy artists just like there are crazy writers, you know, and sometimes you, you don't want to work with somebody for like the first time and launch a new project and they're insane. Yeah. You know, you know and so, I mean, that sounds really harsh, but, I don't know. Every everybody in comics knows a crazy writer, knows a crazy <laughs> artist, and has these hor- 
these horror horror stories, you know. Yeah. And uh, so there's like I would always much rather work with somebody I like and I trust, and they like me and they trust me, and there's like past work that we can build on, and mm-hmm. you know, there's an audience there, and it, you know, so. Yeah, and I mean, for as for as great as uh, you know a guy like Alan Moore was. There's, you know, a big reason that uh, that there wasn't really any artists that were willing to work with him more than once. <laughs> He's had a bunch. He's had a bunch. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Poor, poor Alan Moore. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, poor, poor <laughs> Alan Moore can't get any artists uh, to work with him. <laughs> no, he's 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 doing okay. Um, so, so uh, your your next kind of series, and I think this might have been the uh, actually, I guess this was still a, another Dark Horse series. Um, is Rebels? That's uh, I think what 2015 right. that Rebels came out. Um, yeah, yeah. Where that. where did that story start from? What what inspired you to kind of get into the American uh, historical fiction side of things? It was really just you know you you heard me say how much I loved writing my my Northlanders book, and it was canceled. So I mean I I would have written a lot more. So I've always sort of had it in my head. I'm like I got to get get back to that. I got to figure out a way to do to do more. And at some point, I was like, "What? What am I talk, talking about? I should never do that. You should never try to re, relive your past uh, glories. Mm-hmm. You know, like Northlanders is what it, what it, what it is. I can do another his, historical book. Yeah, I should just do something new. You know. So um, in this case, it was it was really clear because I mean, because American Revolution stuff, like I like love it. Like it wasn't like some random thing I came up with. It was something I knew I knew well. And meant something to me personally because of where where I I grew, I grew up, and I knew I could write a historically accurate, that kind of like ground level story that you know isn't about like George, George Washington and isn't the same old American history story, American Revolution history story that we've always heard. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I I knew 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 enough to get under the surf, surface and tell tell some like original stories. So in that sense, it was like the easiest idea in the world. Like I wrote the pitch in, in a day. I didn't think Dark Horse would think it was like a commercial idea, but they, but they did. And, and it was that, that first series did, did really, really well. So easy, easy. <laughs> that makes they sense. They should all, all, all be so, so easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and that that uh, dovetails into uh, a question from gosh this okay this username I'm gonna give up on it's like you da cheeky I don't know um, okay. but uh, he's wondering what other conflicts do uh, do you want to portray in you know in rebels if you know if you do uh, civil war and due to the rebels label are you going to show the conflict through the lens of the Confederacy I guess that that's the full question that he wrote out you can take that however you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the Civil War is not anything that I'm going to tell. Mm. I like the Civil War history. I was into it a lot as like a teenager. Like I read a lot of books. I was like kind of like a nerd for it for a few years. Now it's just it doesn't. Not that it's not 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 impo- important and it would make a, gr- a great story. I just don't have the personal interest in that. Mm. Um, I I like the old stuff. I like deep his history like rebels is pretty recent for my taste really mm. um i feel like if i was going to do more i well actually you know come to I, I sort of have this idea i've been trying to put together to do something about 
the Puritans and witches, you know, Ooh. like the Salem witches. Yeah. But obvious, but but not the Salem witches, like not the story that we've always heard. But that era, that sort of super creepy, super early America type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I haven't quite quite cracked it yet, obviously. You know, it's just kind of this thing. I think there's a story there for me, and I'm still trying to, you know, I'm letting it sit in my in my head to see if, mm. if anything comes out of it. I've always wanted to do a Black Death story. Oh, that'd be cool. And sort of how the Black Death brought rise to, like, the Renaissance. yeah. I actually, I actually wrote a, a a pitch for, believe it or not, a weird handheld video game before <laughs> smart before iPhones. Huh. That was based on on cathedral building. It was like a puzzle game, you know, like yeah. you play on like a a Nintendo whatever. Um, and it was all about that. And so I like I wrote all this stuff and I wrote this plot for these brothers that are involved, like they're rena- Renaissance archetypes. And yeah. they built built the cathedral, and that was like the underlying story of this weird game that never happened. So that's sitting there, and I know there's like a story story there. You know, good. I mean, I tell tell myself good luck finding any artist who's gonna wanna draw <laughs> a book set in the Italian Renaissance about cathedral building. Yeah, you know, that yeah. sounds like a night a nightmare. Oh. You know, all that arch- architecture and everything. Yeah, it'd have to be so. I have like not. I have not. I've not found anybody willing to take it on, but but there's an idea there. But it's sort of like how like the, you know, the Black Death like paired Europe back. It was like a horrible experience, and out yeah. of, out of it blossomed this amazing age of uh, of you know art and enlightenment and everything. So yeah, that's 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 interesting to me. No, that's awesome. I, I I would love to see that. You're you are right though. Like, not many artists are going to want to do that much architecture in a book. Um, yeah, look crazy. <laughs> so, uh, was Starve your first uh, image book? I mean, I guess you had you had uh, you know Channel Zero. I think you said started at Image right back uh, when you started that. Um, yeah, that was a diff- that was a different image back then. It's, totally. it was not the image today. Um, no, I did. I've actually done a couple of image things. I did something around the same time as Local mm. and sup- sup- Supermarket called the uh, Tourist. Okay. Which was not a great, which is not a great book. <laughs> through through no fault of the artist, it was not a not a great great book. And so no one's really read. And then much more recently, before Starve, I did Mara with Ming Doyle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a short, which was a short series, which I like. Didn't didn't set the world on fire. I like it a lot. I like Ming. Um, Ming and then I nice. did Starve. Um, and Starve was another crazy thing from my Vertigo days mm. um, that was going to be a Vertigo book and would have been a Vertigo book if not for Karen Berger signing uh, Anthony Bourdain, who did a cooking graphic oh, novel. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and literally preempted my preempted Starve. Like it pushed, it literally pushed Starve out of the way. Wow. <laughs> Which was kind of a bummer. I mean, it, it all worked out in the end, but... Uh, you know, that was that. I mean, Starve went went back many, many years. And so it just sat there. I, I had the whole first script written. And, uh, yeah, and it's just, I mean, image is, like, easy. You just go to Eric and, well, you, not not any anybody. But Eric, like, <laughs> wanted to do do books by me. So I'm yeah. like, I, I got to start. He's, he's, he's like, good, go. That's awesome. And I'm like, I, I want to do, I, I want to do a non-historical accurate viking book i just want to do like fun a fun fast 
art centric Viking book with with Gary. He's mm. like, go, easy. So cool. Yeah, this, uh, th- that's good for me to know. Then the next time that I want to pitch a, a comic book, I'll just you know I'll go talk to Eric Stevenson and uh, and have him say go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, easy. Yeah, it's super easy, right? Why why can't why doesn't more people uh, figure that out? Um, <laughs> It's it's uh, good though that you mentioned Mara because I actually wasn't sure uh, when when Mara came out. Uh, I kind of jumped on later, but uh, Ming Doyle is is a, a revelation. Uh, that uh, that ties into another question from MacGyver three eighty seven. Uh, is there any chance of revisiting the world of Mara? Yes, I I know what the 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 second book is. Um, like Mara started off in terms of sales really strong, and ended not very strong at all so mm-hmm. i don't really know what the appetite is that for more more of that sto- story like it's it's there you know i know what what to write you know mm-hmm. i've sort of like now that i've sort of like gotten my feet into the world of tv i there's a tv pitch for amara that mm-hmm. i have in my back pocket you know and uh if anything ever you know if the if the stars align you know there may be a feature for it in that format um, as far as comics goes, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that yeah. if there was an adaptation uh, airing, that it would probably prompt a uh, a continuation of that series. It's kind of a no a brainer. Yeah, you, know? <laughs> you should always have a have have a book going if you have a show or a movie. Yeah, I think anyway. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I I want to we're we're almost like uh, getting caught up here to like present day Brian Wood mythology. Um, but I'm curious, you know, because the, the alien stuff starts uh, kind of around this time. Uh, had you always been an alien fan? And, and what was your sort of road in creatively to uh, the aliens universe? Um, I like aliens a lot. Um, I like it. I like it a lot. I like it as much as like your your typical aliens fan. Um, I'm not like, I mean, I was really blessed to have Tristan Jones as mm. the artist because that guy loves aliens. <laughs> he, 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 he actually loved aliens in a way that I could never love aliens, you know? So he was such a, I mean, in, in addition to being like an, this art, art god, he was like my fact checker. He was like my sounding board for like story. This guy knows, I mean, he should be writing alien books, you know, not me. You know, I felt, I almost felt, I felt like I was a little redundant, you know, at times, Mm. but it was a case of like someone at Dark Horse being like, do you want to write an aliens book? And I'm like, yes, I do. You know, (laughs) um, that had an an interesting sort of like bit of a tease at the beginning because they were like, you know, much like Star Wars, they were like, we finally are able to put Sigourney Weaver to put Ellen Ripley into Mm. comics. First time ever. Yeah. We want you to you to do it i'm like i am there you know and then then you know ridley scott started making more aliens movies and so they're like actually no actually (laughs) you can't use her in case she ever gets put back into a movie again we can't we can't we can't have comics adding to her story that might get in the way of what a what a director wants to do or whatever so i was like ugh but whatever, I'll still do it, you know. So I, you know, I created something new. And it's interesting, like, I, I like that book. Um, people love that book. I mean, there's, like, toys com- coming yeah. out based on the book and everything, which is a new thing for me. I've never, 
I mean, well, I've written X-Men, but that's different. You know, I've never sort of, <laughs> you know, started something and had it take off. And, yeah. You know, like I'm getting, like I'm trading e- e- emails with the publisher in uh, Japan. They're doing a Japanese version of it. Wow. And in true sort of stereotypical Japanese thing, they want all this trivia for the book. <laughs> They're like, how much, how tall is Zula? How much does she weigh? Oh, What's wow. her middle name? They want all this stuff that like doesn't exist because I guess they're <laughs> going to make some crazy dossier in the book or something, you know? Wow. What's, what's Hollis's name? And I'm like, she doesn't have a first, first name. And they're like, oh, you know, they don't like that. You know, like, what's her name? Give her, give her a name. And I'm like, I don't want to give her a name. You know, it's like that kind of thing. So it's like, it's sort of like becoming this thing, you know? Um, and I'm taking a page out of other smarter comic book writers' books, and I'm like, like I already told Dark Horse, if there's more Aliens Defiance coming, or if they're going to do other things with those characters, I'm not the writer. Like, I'm willing to have started it, and other writers can take it into new, cool, interesting places that I can't. Um, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to, Get off, get off the stage while I can, you know, before it's too late, too, before too much time passes, you know. Uh-huh. So I, I think Dark Horse may be trying to look look into that. There's definitely the demand for it. That's awesome. So there may be more of that. Um, yeah. Well, so and and I think you know you're you're totally fine stepping off of uh, off of that stage because we're we're right in the sort of mid 2016 point in terms of the the <laughs> scope of your career, and this is kind of where you know some new projects, uh, you know hit some some big momentum so first off uh you have black road coming out through image you know kind of continuing uh still while starve is going but you know giving you more books over in that image stable uh where did black road come from obviously you know you're working with gary brown again had you guys been talking about that type of idea for a while yeah i first met gary back when northlanders was a monthly book and he was like right out of college or something and he he sent me samples because he wanted to do a do an arc of that book. And I totally would have done Northlanders with Gary if North Northlanders hadn't ended, you know, it was just bad timing. So, I mean, we ended up doing, doing the massive, but I always knew that that was something that he, he and I both wanted to uh, do. Mm. And so I was like, I'm not going to replicate Northlanders here, you know? And like, I have a feeling, I mean, I, I don't know why any artist would want to try to be his, historically accurate. Cause that's like <laughs> a lot of extra work. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm not even gonna gonna go there. I'm gonna I'm gonna make this about the art more than it is about the story. Like I want to make give give Gary a cool book book to draw mm-hmm. and all the stuff I know Gary Gary likes to draw and he can draw it the way he wants to and like pace it out the way he the way he 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 wants to. So I gave him a pretty lean uh, script and it was really just I was just trying to make like a Viking version of like a like a thriller like mm-hmm. a airport thriller like a jack reacher book or something you know like this tough tough guy basically getting himself into trouble and he gets himself out you know kind of thing mysteries thrillers yeah yeah um and uh it did well i mean i liked it and like i i i really view it as like gary's thing more more than than it is mine mm. honestly um just because i put so so much of the ball into his uh, court with it yeah you know? yeah is, uh, and I feel like that's something writers should should do more. It's a humbling thing. Yeah. You know, it's like I put his name is first on a lot of the books. You know, like I wanted to sort of not not keep that sort of like, you know, writers are in the number one position always mm-hmm. thing. I wanted to sort of push push back on that a little bit. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it works very well. I mean, that art is is very distinctly, I think, an art, art book or an art first book uh, because it's, you know, you can you can tell in reading these pages that it's like you're in your scripting, you're stepping back, you're, you know, giving it uh, more room to breathe, um, which is awesome. And it's great. I, is there any plans to continue Black Road? It's you guys have 10 issues out now and yeah. uh, the trade's coming out soon. Yeah, the the first trade came came out. The yeah. second trade is out in like a month, like oh, okay. soon. Um, we'll see. Like it's it was meant to be self self contained things. Mm. You know, you know, it was never going to be like an indefinite monthly. You know, it's going to be like this is like a self contained Magnus the Black story, and we'll do a, a another one. You know. Gary's like Gary t- took on other work. I, t- I t- took on other work. So I'm not sure when when we'll get to it. Cool. But we both want to. Yeah, because he's I think he's working on uh, Baby Teeth with Donny Cates right now. Um, yeah. So obviously he's you know he's he's abandoning you in your moment of need. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I I would absolutely love to see uh, Black Road continue. Um, and then just a few short months later, the uh, the first issue of Briggsland comes out from uh, you and uh, the probably the coolest I think the coolest artist name in comics, Mac Chatter. Is yeah, that, is that his real yeah. name? Is that a real name, or is that just like a, an alias he goes by? No, that's his that's his real name. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, so where where did Briggsland comes from? It seems like this was kind of developed alongside uh, AMC, right? Were they involved from the beginning, or was it something that kind of happened in the development? Yeah, no, it was so I I established a, re- a relationship with AMC a long time time ago. Like they mm-hmm. approached me because they wanted the DMZ rights, mm-hmm. and they came to me and you know I basically sort of tried to help them talk Warner Warner Brothers into it. You know, gotcha. like sort of like they picked my my uh, brain a lot. They were working up a, up a pitch, and it didn't work out, but. You know, like I had spent a bunch of time time with them, so I just kind of kept kept the relationship alive. Yeah. And every time I came up with like a comic book idea, I would just show them the pitch mm. on the crazy off chance that that they would like it. You know, <laughs> snatch it up. You yeah. know, and they never did. You know, what what changed over time is obviously TV changed. You know, yeah. there's like a billion more TV shows now than there was in 2007 or eight. You mm. know. And a huge, larger readership, and these TV networks feel like they can tell a broader range of stories. Like early on, AMC was always like, "That doesn't match our target audience." Yeah, yeah. You know? But now the t- target audience is like everybody now. You mm-hmm. know. So I gave him, I gave them an early version of Briggsland that actually had a had a male had the husband in the in the lead it wasn't a fem female led led book mm. and they they looked at it they're like we we like this malicious setting but it was really it was just felt like a typical mafia story with like that guy with that tough tony soprano kind of a dude oh, in, yeah. the, in the lead and, and so they're like yeah it's just not quite there I, I forget what they said but they didn't like it and i don't i just had like the light bulb go off in, in my head one day and i was like what if i switched them Mm-hmm. What if the wife is the main one? And suddenly it was like so much better. Just that <laughs> one switch, it, it like it su- suggested so much more interesting stories. Yeah, you know, and complex. Yeah. So like I just fixed the pitch and sent it to them. They're like, oh yeah, we'll we'll take this. This is better. 
you know? <laughs> so, and I hadn't even shown it to Dark Horse at that point. I, like, I, I fully intended to, but I just hadn't done it yet. Yeah. So Ansi's like, we'll, we'll take this now. We'll take it before it's a comic. You know, we've never done that before, but, wow. but we'll do it here. Why not? You know? So I, it was a little awkward because I'm like, had to bring it to Dark Horse and I'm like, you got to give me a different kind of a, con- a, co- a contract because now it's like they're now they're like licensing it. Yeah. You know? If that makes sense, because it's already another thing, even yeah. though it's not yet. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, it was it's like, like this weird sort of like, we have to do both things at once in a weird way now um, yeah. situation. So I was like, it was always a TV show and it was always a comic both at the same time, you know, <laughs> which is kind of, kind of unusual. Um, and the, the process, it's been slow, but it's, it's interesting because I had to start thinking about what the pilot episode was before I knew what the first issue of the comic was. Yeah. And they can't be the, be the same. Different formats require different rules, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was like really messing me up in the, in the head for like a while. So then I had to just be like, you know what, AMC, I'm going to stop this pilot writing for like a while, I'm just going to get a bunch of the comics done done first. I need to, I need to get clear of the. I need to get a bunch of comics under my belt before I can sort of see the forest for the trees. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, and so then I went back to the pilot after I'd done like the first six issues or some something, and I was better able to sort of see what should go go into a pilot and what shouldn't. You know. That's good. So I'm so. I mean, the pilot's done. Now I'm just now it's like a waiting game. I got to wait for AMC to to decide to take it to the next level or, or, or not take it to the, to, to the next level, which is, you know, I have to tell myself in TV, not getting something picked up is the norm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like for every one show that makes it, there's like a hundred that, that don't, you know? Oh, absolutely. I have a lot of, I have a lot of actor friends and TV writer friends and they're like, whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's like a daily, it's like my actor friend. It's like, it's like, it's my daily life. Yep. getting get jack acted and in comics it's different like if you're canceled or whatever in comics it's a big deal it's because you fucked up yeah. you know but in tv if, if you don't get it it's like just another day you know yeah you can do everything right everything right in tv and not have something picked up you know so it's it's different i, I gotta like sort of get my get get my mind prepped yeah for that you know? so, yeah i i, I, but I Fingers crossed and everything. I I hope to see it because I think you know in reading Briggsland, I mean it's it's it very clearly would be an awesome show and I think would fit the uh, you know the mold of of AMC dramas you know really really well. Um, but yeah, I mean l- like you say the the developing process of TV shows. I mean I have I have three friends who it seems like are always in active development on a show that they're writing, but it's like you know eventually after you know a bunch of pitch meetings and a bunch of development it'll just fall through for one reason or another and they just kind of like have to you know deal with that and like you know like move forward and be like all right like that's that's where that one ends yeah um which is crazy uh (laughs) and so really i mean that's like you know you you've got now uh you know as we're here in july of 2016 your current uh running books you've got alien you know at number 12 just came out last month um john carter the end is is that one wrapped up or is john carter the end still going yeah that's yeah that's that's done i i handed yeah it was, it was a five issue thing mm. um 
I felt like I like hand, handed in that last script like six six months ago or something. <laughs> it feels it it, all, it already feels old to me. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, right now, like, I, I, I finished writing Rebels, mm-hmm. or I finished writing the second run of that, even though there's a lot more to come out. Yeah. Um, Black, Black Road, I finished. I'm doing Briggsland still. I'm doing a short run on Ro- Robotech. Oh, that's yeah. That's coming out. That's coming out in, like, in like, a week or two. That's really imminent. Um, wow. And I'm doing that. And then there's other things which are not announced yet. I see. But, uh... And I'm doing a lot of TV writing. Like, it's not just, just Briggsland. That opened up a lot of doors. So I can't say, but there's another book we've been talking about on this call Ooh. that I'm writing a pilot, writing a pilot for. So, well, that's, that is uh, good um, to hear. Yeah, and so that, like I say, I'm sort of like in that, in that world, and I'm working up a pitch with, with an actor friend mm. for like, an, like a, an, an original TV thing. So nice. I'm sort of giving it a whirl. I mean, I feel like 20 years in comics, you that's a long time you know and it's like i my my agent always says brian you're a writer you're not a comic book writer Mm -hmm. you can write other things you 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 know that right you know it's like after so (laughs) many years of comics you get into a groove into a rut you know and the thing that honestly i think i like about tv writing is that i have to start over again at the beginning it doesn't matter how many comics i've written Mm -hmm. they don't care they don't care. They're like, they're like, you know, give me your your screenplay writing sample, and I'm yeah. like, I don't, I don't have 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 one. <laughs> but here's 20 years of books, and they're like, we don't care. Yeah, like we have to write us a screenplay. That, that's what we need to see. So I just start at the beginning. Like I did a, like I wrote a, a whole other pilot <laughs> for somebody that that is like just in my drawer, you know, yeah. and that was my first TV TV pilot. And then it was Briggsland, and now it's this other other thing, and it's like I have to. It's it teaches you that you to be humble. Mm-hmm. Like you forget as a comic book writer when everything's easy after twenty years in terms of like I can just send Eric Stevenson a pitch. That's all I kind of got to do. Yeah. But now I got to really work for it like I'm new, you know. <laughs> so it's like a it's sort of it's a humbling thing, but it's good. It's like all different creative muscles. Um, I feel like I'm learning a lot more about being a writer than, than, than I knew before, you know, I'm understanding how, how little I know. So I, I think it's a valuable thing for any, any writer to kind of like try something new. Some, maybe we have to start over again, you know, Yeah, it's good, but I'm definitely enjoying it a lot. It's frustrating. It's slow. Comics is, is fast. TV shows are slow. Um, that is for sure. So that's different. That's different too, but you know, it's like it's all good. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I got a book agent, so I want to write a novel. Hell yeah! You know, once I have a little, little bit of space, I want to try that. You know, so exploring all the, the different avenues as a writer—that's awesome. I, I always love seeing how different writers uh, adapt to other mediums. You know what I mean? Because you know, like I mean, Warren Ellis, obviously, he's now very firmly in both comics and novel writing, and you know, obviously, done some uh, the Netflix Castlevania stuff. Um, I love, I love seeing how, especially from comics, cause I feel like kind of like you were saying the development and pro- the development, uh, process in comics is so much different than other stories that I think it allows, uh, a different type of creator to come out the other end, um, than screenwriting or novel writing. And so it's always cool to see the types of ideas and methods that comic book creators, uh, bring to other mediums like that. 
Um, yeah. Now I, I am wondering. So you've you've worked quite a lot with uh, with both Image and Dark Horse. Uh, who would win in a fight between Mike Richardson oh, and Eric Stevenson? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've seen Mike, Mike Richardson. He's like nine feet tall. <laughs> yeah. right? So I got to put, put my money on that. He's just like a, he's an imposing guy. Like I get a little scared when I see him at <laughs> conventions. He's the nicest guy in the world, but just physically, I'm like, I'm six one. So it's like, I might, might meet somebody that's like a couple inches taller than me, but he, he's like a foot taller than me, you know? <laughs> so I'm not used, used to seeing something like that. And I have to look up to talk. I don't know. It's like I get a little nervous around him. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll put my money on Mike. Hear that, Eric, Eric, uh, Eric Stevenson? You better start working out. Mike Richardson's coming for you. Um... Well, shoot, man. I mean, I, I, I have tons more, uh, you know, questions that I could totally ask you because I'm a huge writing nerd. You know, I, I like, obviously, especially like in, in both comics and, and uh, you know, television and screenwriting, all that stuff. Like, I, I love all that stuff. However, we have definitely, uh, you know, kept you for far too long. You've been very generous with your time. Uh, but what's, uh, what do you want to plug for the listeners? Where can they find you online? What stuff have you got uh, coming out uh, in the near future? Uh, yeah, I, I'm honestly, I'm trying to pare back my social media. Mm. Um, like everybody says they, they should, <laughs> I'm actually trying, it's, it's hard. It really is. Hard. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I'm Brian Wood at almost every social media place. Yeah. I mean, nice. I'm very easy to find. Um, the big thing I like to talk about, I mean, I'm doing lots of stuff, but Briggs Land is my number one focus in the comics world. Hell yeah. So uh, I tell everybody check that we just started started a new arc, um, Lone Wolf, and there's a trade there's a trade out. So that's a good a good place to start. Um, you know, they, I got a couple of trades like Aliens Defiance coming coming out, Robotech, the mm. second Black Road. But uh, if I'm talking about monthly books, it's got it's all about Briggsland. Hell yeah, it's great. It's a great book. I I definitely recommend anybody who likes crime books, anybody who likes you know uh, like that type of genre, whether it's you know Breaking Bad or anything similar. I I love Briggsland. Um, and yeah, th- thanks for joining the the show. We will definitely uh, have to get you on uh, in the future sometime. We can talk about all that crazy nerdy writing stuff if you're willing to suffer through it. Um, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> and uh, for the listeners, <laughs> thank you so much for all your questions. You can always send uh, any questions that you have to letters at savagelandpodcast dot com or any of our uh, social media sites at savagelandpod on Twitter at savagelandpodcast and everything else. Um, and uh, leave your ratings and reviews on iTunes. We always love them. Make sure you go and support Brian Woods' books. Uh, he is he is one of those creators that will always satisfy you know at least some form of of intrigue and curiosity uh, especially in a time when a lot of comics don't necessarily do that Uh, but other than that thank you so much for joining the show thanks for listening and have a good week 